I'm so proud of you guys. I really am. Uh, I was talking to Charlie Westbrook even last week when, when he went back home and, and we got to talk on the phone. And uh, he's a crier. I didn't know that. Like, I was just like, hey, Charlie, what's up? He goes, oh, V-S-I-L. And I was like, ah, I was like Charlie, uh, you give me some of that. I'm not much of a crier. Um, but I'm just so proud of you guys, and, and I love you. And, uh, man, if you're new with us, I just want to say good morning. Uh, welcome to our family. Uh, you are a friend. And uh, I'm just so grateful that we get to come together. Uh, this is the Mission Church, and, and really we believe that we exist to love all people to Christ and to equip them for the mission. Uh, and what that means for us is really that we want to be a people who not just share the love of God, but we show it. And we want to be a people who we don't just do that, but we develop other people to do that as well. And we want to teach others how to share and to show the love of God and, and really to live the Great Commission, um, which is to make disciples who make disciples who make disciples. And this is why we are here in this community. Um, and last Sunday, like I told you about Charlie Westbrook, he was here and he was preaching. And we had a really fun time celebrating our anniversary and celebrating uh, the birth of the Mission Church. And that was so fun. And I, and I hope you enjoyed it. Like, I really enjoyed it, except for, like, that one little part where Charlie had me translate something about myself. That was, like, really uncomfortable. I was like, yeah, I really don't want to say those things. They were nice things if you weren't here. They were nice things. But uh, I was just like, man, that's just really uncomfortable. Made my face really red, even though I'm kind of brown, but, you know, just kind of how it is. And, uh, and I was just like, man, I just hope you really uh, enjoyed that service because <laughs> I did. Um, and uh, we took a little break from our sermon series of Transformed, but we're going to get back into it. So let's go ahead and turn to First Peter together. First Peter. And if you've never been to First Peter, you're welcome to use uh, the table of contents. Um, don't be embarrassed with the person next to you. You're totally welcome to do that. And so as you turn to First Peter chapter 1, we're going to be in verse 17. So go ahead and find that. But I want to give you a little bit more context before we get to verse 17. Because we're kind of skipping a little part just so we can be on the same page as our friends in, in Owasso. Um, but just a little bit of context. Verses 13 to 16 is all about holiness. And Peter writes to this church and says, man, your minds, your minds must be sober. Your minds must be alert. Your hope must be in the grace of God through Jesus Christ. These are all the things that he's saying. And then... He even continues and he says, man, we should be the people who are marked by obedience. Marked by obedience because we understand that we have a holy God. We must be marked by obedience and, and honestly fighting those evil desires that we still kind of have even before we knew Jesus. And then he continues and he says, we are children of God who must pursue to look like our Father in heaven. And the way he phrases it this way, he goes, be holy as our God is holy. Be holy because our God is holy. And then, and then you might be asking, okay, what does it mean for us to be holy? Like, what does holiness mean? Well, and in the most simple of terms, the definition of holiness is God. Because God is holy. God doesn't just like possess holiness. God, God doesn't just have this thing that is holy, but God himself is holy. And what's amazing is that in Revelation chapter 4, verse 8, there's a song of heaven. I don't know if you've heard this song before, but the song of heaven is this. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, 
who was and is to come. This is the song of heaven because holiness, in some other definitions, holiness means like no other. Our God is like no other. Our God is set apart. Our God is just in every single way. Our God is pure in every single motive. And our God is righteous in every single thought. That is our God, and, and our God calls us to be holy just like he is. Like when we say yes to Jesus, the Spirit of God comes in us, and now we are called to live the same way, a life marked by holiness. And there's this famous pastor out there. Some of you may have heard him. Some of you may have not, but his name's Charles Spurgeon. And I love what he says about holiness. He says this, I believe the holier a person becomes, the more they mourn over the unholiness that remains in them. Man, that one's a little piercing. Because how many times do we mourn over the unholiness that we still have? But I think this helps us understand that when we understand the depths of our sin, man, that's when we truly begin to understand the depth of grace. And it's just so amazing. So this is the context of verses 17 to 21 that we're going to go over. So let's go ahead and stand up together and read verse 17 to 21. And I'm going to read this just a little bit slower this morning because I really want us to grasp this. So verse 17, it begins with this. Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Man, are you glad that God doesn't play favorites? I'm so glad. I'm like, Lord, thank you that you don't play favorites. Thank you that I can live reverently before you. In verse 18, it says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Man. Aren't you glad that it was Jesus, the one who paid it, not us? Are you glad that we are foreigners in this earth, that this earth is really not our home? Are you glad that we're only here for just like a little bit, and then we'll be in heaven with our Father, with our Lord? And aren't you glad that this salvation wasn't paid with corrupt money, but with the perfect payment of Christ? It's just amazing. So we continue reading in verse 20. It says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for whose sake? Your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him so your faith and hope are in God. Man, this is the word of the Lord. And praise be to God. Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I'm so grateful of, of the Lord's intentionality, and I just see it all over here. And that's just a word I use a lot because God is just so intentional. And so the, uh, the title of, of the message this morning, if you're taking notes, the title is this, A Meaningful Transformation. A Meaningful Transformation. And we're going to talk about more of what it means that we have a meaningful transformation. But whenever you go to lunch today or whenever you're hanging out with people today, Here's the one thing I want you to say if they ask you, hey, what did you learn in church today? So here's the one thing. I'm going to give it to you. Ready? Live for Jesus like you mean it. 
live for Jesus like you mean it. So I want to remind you of this. The same God who created you, the same God who created the entire universe is the same God who loves you. This God, I want you to think about this. This God loved you, like loved each and every one of you before you could do anything for him. Before you could say a word, before you had a thought, before you could lift your hands and worship, God loved you. I mean, come on. Amen, that's what I'm talking about. Because there is nothing more or nothing less that we can do to earn God's love. Here's why. Because God's love is not earned. It's, it's given by him. That's who God is. It is this love that is given by him. And God has shown his love, not just through words, but through actions, by giving us his one and only son, Jesus, to come live a perfect life, to come die a perfect death, and then raise to life and say, yeah, I have power over all things, even death. And then he showed it with those actions. And so he made us. Because of that reality, man, he has made us complete human beings. Because before Jesus, we were incomplete human beings. And so we see that because God loved us, we can truly love him and love others. But again, going back to that statement, we have to remember that our love for Jesus should impact how we live for Jesus. Our love for Jesus should impact how we live for Jesus, not just what we say about him. Not just what we say with our words, but what we say with our actions. Because if we truly love him, check this out, we will truly live for him. And so, let's live for Jesus like we mean it. And as we look at this text, we're going to dive in. And I have three questions for us to answer uh, this morning. Three questions. Here's the first question. Do we mean what we say? Question mark. Do we mean what we say? So let's look at verse 17 one more time. Verse 17 says, Since you call on a father who judges each person's work impartially, live out your time as foreigners here in reverent fear. Do we mean what we say? So all of, all of those who have said yes to Jesus, put their faith in Jesus, are now part of the family of God. And I'm just going to be honest with you. Just because you're part of the family of God doesn't give you an excuse to continue to live in disobedience. When you're part of the family of God, God does this thing called development, uh, which means that he wants to develop you into being more holy, more like Jesus. He does this thing called consequences, that there's still consequences for sin because you're still part of that family. He still judges the sin that we have. And in this this little verse right here could be talking about the judgment right now that we could face or the judgment when Jesus returns. Either way, it says this, is that God deals with people and the sin and people and the actions that we take because really God always deals with the heart because it's the action that derives from the heart. And it says that we should be living in reverent fear. And it's this kind of reverence, this kind of fear that's like, Lord, you're, I'm just in awe of you. And because I know who you are, man, I'm going to live a certain way because now I'm marked with your spirit. I am marked with your name. Lord, I want to live in reverence before a holy God. And Lord, I can't fake it. You know my motives. Maybe other people see my actions, but God, you know my heart. 
So I'm going to live in reverence before you. And as we read this, I hope you realize that God means what he says. Like God has says this, so he means it. If you look at the Old Testament, God said that there would be a Messiah who would come. Well, guess what? He meant it and he did. In the New Testament, we see that, that, God, uh, that God came in the flesh as Jesus and said, man, for the wages of sin is death, but eternal life is in Jesus Christ. That was said and that was meant. That was meant because God has always seen sin, has always said, man, there's consequence for that sin. And there's a payment for that sin. He said it, he meant it. And because of that, he had to send Jesus because we couldn't pay that debt ourselves. We couldn't. We couldn't do anything to make a way to God. That's why Jesus had to come to make a way for us to God. When God says it, he means it. And as we continue to just look at this verse, we see that we now have this father who does judge. But because we do have this father, we do have to live as his children. And as children, we have to do everything that we can to just look like our heavenly father. As children, we have to do everything that we can to live in reverence. Because when we live in reverence, meaning this reverent fear, that's when we really begin to live in wisdom. Because the beginning of all wisdom is fear of the Lord, is fear of God. And so how are we living? Are we living in reverence, this reverent fear before a heavenly Father, before a heavenly God? How do we do that? How do we live in reverence? Well, I think it's by living what we say, by living what we mean, and meaning what we say. That's how we do it. And so I just want to make it a little, a little personal for us here, just even in this verse. I think that in faith, our church, like our, our church family, we can't just say that we trust the gospel. We can't just say it, but we have to truly believe it. Truly believe that we trust the gospel. Like we have to truly believe it in such a way that we are trusting in the power of the gospel to go and share it and to show it. I've just been so convicted this past week of saying, okay, Misai, like, do you really believe in the power of the gospel that transforms people's lives? Like, do you really believe? And if you really believe it, Misai, if you really trust it, you're going to share it. Misai, if you really trust it, you're going to live it. Because Jesus meant what he said. He said that he came to establish his kingdom by restoring people to himself. And so I have to believe that if Jesus came to restore people and people make up a city, then I have to believe that Jesus can change and restore an entire city, our city, right here. I have to believe it. And the way I believe it and walk it is by living it and by sharing it. Understanding that the gospel doesn't just transform our souls, but transforms our minds, our hearts, our families, our understanding, every aspect of life he restores. And so let me ask you just a couple questions. If we mean what we say when we say that we love Jesus, are we living it? If we mean it when we say that we believe the entire gospel from creation all the way to redemption when Jesus is coming back, are we living it and sharing it and remembering it? 
if we really mean it when we say that life is worship, that it's not just lifting our hands in worship, but it's every single day, let me ask you this, are you pledging your allegiance to the king? Are you pledging your allegiance to the savior of the world? If we really mean it, that we, that we know that, that Jesus forgives, check this out, this one's hard for us. Are we living a life of repentance? Are we living a life that makes repentance our loudest praise and understanding forgiveness? And then here's the last one. If we really mean it when we say that we are children of God, the God of, of the universe, are we living a life of intimacy with him? Are we living a life of intimacy with our father saying, God, I, I miss you when, I, when I'm not with you. I miss you when I'm not in your word. Lord, I miss you when I'm not praying. And Lord, out of this intimacy that I have with you, man, I'm going to obey you. I'm gonna obey your word. I'm gonna obey everything that you say because if we mean what we say, we will live for the Lord that we love. So that's what we see just in this little verse right here. So the next thing, the next question, so that was the first question, right? Do we mean what we say? And I really wanted to use another S word, so I kind of stretched this one a little bit, so just bear with me. Do we know the salary? That's the next question. Do we know the salary? I really wanted to say, do you know the cost? But I was like, cost is not an S word, so we have to use an S word. You know how it is. But do we know the salary? Okay, so let's look at verses 18 and 19 one more time. Verse 18 says, For you know that it was not with perishable things, such as silver or gold, that you were redeemed from the empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors, but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. Man. Jesus has bought us with a price. And I just want to make sure if, like, I just want to make sure you understand the cost, you understand the salary that it took to buy us, like to, to pay off the debt of sin. Like, think of it this way. God had to buy us with his own currency. Like he didn't use the corrupt money that we have created out of paper and leaves and trees and ink and all this kind of stuff. He paid it with his own currency, which was the perfect life of Jesus, the perfect body of Jesus, the perfect blood of Jesus that was shed on the cross for us. And family, we were too poor to pay this debt. We were way too poor. You couldn't gather all the, the money in the world to pay this kind of eternal debt. You couldn't do enough work to pay off this kind of eternal debt. Number one, because there's not enough money in the world to pay for that. Number two, that's not the kind of currency God is looking for. God is looking for a life to be shed and that truly should have been our life, but Jesus took our place. So do we understand, do we really know the salary? The reason I ask that is because one of the reasons, if not the reason, why we couldn't pay off this debt is because we were dead in our sins. Like the kind of dead that you're not alive, like the kind of dead that you can't work. Like the kind of dead you can't earn a paycheck kind of dead. You know what I mean? Like the kind of dead that is immobile and incapable of paying this kind of debt. And when we enter in a relationship with Jesus, and I love how it says it right here. 
It says that we were rescued, redeemed, restored from what? From the empty way of life. The empty way of life. Before Jesus, we were slaves. We were slaves to this empty way of life. But now in Jesus, we've been redeemed to a new life in him. But it was a huge cost. And it was the cost that Jesus paid it all. Not just some, but paid it all. And I'm just so thankful for that because we have this kind of beautiful throwback to the Old Testament. This beautiful throwback where Jesus is like, yeah, I'm the perfect lamb that was slain. And the throwback is that the Israelites back in the day had to continuously, continuously find this perfect little lamb and and sacrifice it for the forgiveness of sins. But now Jesus is like, no, man. I'm the eternal perfect lamb, one sacrifice for all. And I say, thank you, Lord. (laughs) That's awesome. And so we see that Jesus is perfect, and he perfectly appeased the wrath of God for all of eternity. And all who look at Jesus and say yes will be saved. All who believe in their heart and confess with their mouth will be saved. And And I know we say that a lot, but I'm just I'm just reminding us. Do you you know and understand the cost? And I keep on asking these questions because how we're going to get to this illustration. So here's the illustration. Um, Teenagers really make me laugh. They really do. Anybody a teenager in here? Back row? Back row? I feel you. You see, I'm about to tell you something about teenagers. And the reason I know about this is because I was a teenager myself just a couple years ago. Uh, there's, there's no doubt about that. Um, but here's what teenagers crack me up. Sometimes they don't understand the value of things. Uh, I was a teenager, and I remember when, when I was younger, and, and I got kind of like, uh, like my first iPhone, and so or one of my first iPhones, I guess, and I was this teenager. And I remember when I first got it, when I first got it, I was like, okay, this, this costs a lot of money. And so every time I'd put it down, I'd go, okay. All right, all right, cool, cool, cool. And I'd leave it there, and I'd do my stuff, and then I'd pick it up, and I'd go, okay. Right, so I, that's how I'd live, but only for, like, the first four days. Okay, and I don't know if, I don't know what it is about teenagers. Like, I was there, trust me. But, like, I, you know, we only do this for, for about four days. But I don't know what happens on the fifth day. We're kind of doing our thing, and, and let's just say we get home from school, right? We get from school, and we're like, whatever. And on the fifth day, we're like, hey, yeah, what's up, man? And we just throw it. Did I hit you? I'm sorry. Okay. I meant to go more sideways than, than that way. But we just throw it. We're like, yeah, man, what's up? And, and, like, your mom and your dad is like, what have you done? Do you not understand that cost me an arm and a leg and potentially my shoulder? Like, come on. Like, that was so much money. And, and what's interesting to me is that I think we have a tendency to all kind of act like teenagers. Where I, I don't know what happens, but like either we have this tendency to view things as less meaningful as, as time goes on, or we just forget. And the reason I show that to you is because our salvation, I think sometimes over time we forget how meaningful it is. I think that our salvation, sometimes over time, we forget the value of it, and we kind of just do the whole, hey, what's up? Instead of every single day saying, wow, Lord, thank you, like, this is cool. Like, that cost a lot, 
and I'm going to live it like it costs a lot. And so that really brings us to, to our last question. Not only do you know the salary, but do you know the Savior? Do you know the Savior? Question mark. And I, and I just, I really want us to think about this because do we know the Savior well enough to trust him even though we don't understand? Do we know the Savior well enough that when we don't have those moments of intimacy with him, those moments where we are maybe being still and knowing that he's God, those moments of being in his word, those moments of being with God's people, and in those moments that we're maybe not doing that, do we miss it? Do we miss him? And I just want to encourage us, I want to encourage us to just remember how meaningful your Savior is to you. I want to encourage you to remember how meaningful your Savior is to you, to not, not throw it like a phone. Don't, don't, treat, don't treat your Savior like, like that birthday text where you just text him once a year and you're like, hey, happy birthday. Don't have that kind of relationship with your savior, man. He's so much more than that. Like, don't, don't treat your savior like someone who you don't wanna talk to or, or don't treat your savior like an organ donor where he just kinda like gave you a little organ because really what our savior did was give us an entire blood transfusion like new life, new creation, new everything. So I want to read this last verse to you. What about last two verses? Verse 20 says, He was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times for your sake. Through him you believe in God, who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Man, we could, we could do an entire study just on that, of how Jesus existed even before the world was created. But I'm just gonna tell you this, Jesus is God. And Jesus revealed himself in the perfect time not, not just to all creation, but the perfect time to you. And I don't know, maybe today you look at that question and you say, man, Misad, I don't know if I really do know the Savior. Today's a day. Today's a day where you know that Jesus can restore all things in you, that he paid the price for you, and you cannot pay it. You know what's beautiful about the gospel? You can't. That's what's beautiful. You can't but God can. That's what's beautiful about it. We live in a world and a context and a culture that says, you can, you can, you can. <laughs> That's so much pressure. That's so much pressure. You can't, but God can. Your savior can. And then because our savior can, because maybe our answer to the question, if we know our savior is yes, think about this about your savior. God was willing to send his one and only son, Jesus, to suffer for you. He allowed him to suffer for you. 
when those moments of suffering, it's okay to say that God's allowing that suffering. It's okay. Because after suffering comes glory. Because that same God who allowed Jesus to suffer is the same God who raised Jesus up. The same God who said, Jesus, man, you are now raised to glory. And so that same God will look at us if we are in Christ and say, you are raised to glory and raised to be in my presence forever. And so I just want to encourage us to live a life marked with obedience and holiness because we mean what we say. And we will live for Jesus like we mean it. And so what I want to do right now is I just want to take an extended time of prayer. And I'm going to have Brandon come back up and just kind of play, play behind us. And the reason I want to take an extended time of prayer is because I want you to think about yourself and your family. And I kind of want you to evaluate your family reputation. Now, some of you might be saying, Misael, I'm single. And to that, I'd say, yeah, me too. So let's evaluate our family reputation as saying, what do I want my family in the future to look like? What kind of reputation do I want them to have? If you have a family right now, evaluate that. What kind of family reputation do you have? Is your reputation the kind of reputation where people look at and say, man, they, they talk about that, that Jesus stuff, but man, they really live it too. Man, they, they talk about that obedience stuff, but man, they really live it too. And they've shared it with me. So I just want us to evaluate that together and, and just pray. So let's take that extended period of time of prayer. And then I'm going to pray for us at the end. So let's go ahead and do that. Lord, your word says that you are enthroned upon the praises of your people. Lord, the way we praise you is not just by singing, but by coming to you in repentance, by praying, magnifying your name. Lord, we come to you as one family that makes up just different families. And we come before you, Lord, evaluating our family reputation, evaluating ourselves, 
asking the question, do we really live for Jesus like we mean it? And what I think that question does cause a lot of confession and repentance for the times that we just haven't wanted to. Lord, it's so easy to live for our kids because we love them. Lord, it's so easy to live for our spouses because we love them. Lord, sometimes it's even easy to live for our friends or for ourselves because we love them or ourselves. But Lord, would you remind us that you are our greatest love in which we live for? Lord, would you help us to really trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ? Lord, would you help us as we truly seek to live for the Savior that we love? Lord, I pray that if there's someone in here who does not know you, that they would surrender their entire life to you. That they would surrender everything, not just a little bit, not just their front porch or their living room or their kitchen, but even the closet, the backyard, every single corner of their home and their heart. Because it is in you, Lord, that we find all the peace, all the joy, all the love, and we are complete human beings. Lord, I know that your word never returns void. And I know, Lord, that the price you paid was so costly and valuable. So I pray that we would live lives individually and corporately that express the value of our salvation and that we don't just throw it away. God, we love you and we trust you and we thank you for who you are and what you've done in our lives. In Jesus' name I pray, amen.